When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Light as a feather when I'm floating through Reading through the daily news Measuring the hurt within the golden rule Centimeters of ether, I'm heating the speaker Motivational teacher with words that burn people Singing the headlines line with discord It's either genocide or the planet in uproar Never good, the rules in paradise are never nice The best laid plans of mice and men are never right I'm just a vagabond with flowers for Algernon An average Joe who knows what the fuck is going on It's the hope of my thoughts that I travel upon Fly like an arrow What is going on, everybody, on this Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening here in New York City? Hope everybody is doing well from the Bronx lockdown. My name is Billy Ray Valentine, and this is the Infinite Fringe. I appreciate everybody coming to hang out with me today. Hope everybody is doing well over here in New York. Actually, it's 7 o'clock, right? So what happens here, I don't know if it happens around where you guys are, but what happens here is... Everybody comes out and starts banging on pots or, or, or honking their horns. So if you guys hear something, that's probably what it is at 7 o'clock in appreciation for the first responders and the people in the front lines, quote-unquote. And however you feel about this pandemic, plandemic, fake-demic, whatever you think it is, um, these people that are normally uh, that, that are at the hospitals and that have to work there, you know, they... Whether whether you subscribe to the severity of the pandemic or not, a lot of these people do, and they're still going out there and doing this, and that should be, you know, recognized to a certain degree. And I know I'm going to get a bunch of, oh, but there's people doing, uh, you know, dances and putting them on YouTube, and the nurses, listen, man, what, what are you going to say? What are you going to say to that? You know, but um, there are people out there, you know, that, that are going out and that are well-intentioned, so 
I think it's a nice thing that people do. I mean, it's it's kind of annoying when you're trying to record a radio show. But other than that, um, I, I think it's a good deal. So if you hear that, just wanted to let you know that's what's going on. It happens every time at 7 p.m. Uh, here in New York City. And uh, I hear around the world probably as well. How are all of you? I have some guests here with me today. Well, actually, one of them is not a guest. He's, he's a house guest. He's, he comes around whenever... Whenever he wants and crash, crashes on the infinite fringe couch, it's uh, uh, my friend and yours, Mr. John Brissom is here. How are you? How's everybody doing out there in the TFR radio audience? I am John Brissom from We Read the Documents. And tonight, me and Billy Ray Valentine are going to speak with one of my most favorite researchers of all, Recluse from FISAVU.com. You know, that's my job, John. I was supposed to do that. <laughs> You beat me to the punch. You know, I, I can't, I, I'll never get to intro Recluse for the first time ever again, you know. You robbed me of a moment. Well, I mean, I'm just going to say I'm really glad to uh, be here. Uh, you know, thank you so much, John, for uh, inviting me here. And Billy, I mean, thanks for having me on. You know, oh, this man. is great. Uh, and uh, hopefully I can uh, do well here from uh, West by God, Virginia. Well, Recluse, thank you for joining us, man. I, I really appreciate you. Uh, John hooked it up. I've been listening to what you do for a little bit now. You know, you, you've been around doing your thing. And, uh, you know, the name is fantastic, by the way. You know, uh, Recluse. I wish I would have thought of it myself and I would have beaten you to it because uh, I, I like the name quite a bit. Now, uh, you've been doing your thing. You have a podcast and I want you to talk about that. But you also have a brand new book uh, that is out right now for purchase. You can find it on Amazon. Uh, and uh, Recluse will fill us in on anywhere else you can find it. Strange Tales of the Parapolitical. Uh, congratulations on the release of your book, brother, and uh, tell us a little bit about it. Well, thank you very much. Uh, yeah, it's very exciting. Um, it was originally pitched to me by my co-author, Frank Zero, and it was going to be you know, roughly based around how trauma has been used to reorient society with an emphasis on the, you know, the concept of the shock doctrine that was developed by Naomi Klein during the last decade. And, um, you know, after kind of getting started, wanted to take on a life of its own. Uh, I kind of saw Colonia Dignidad as a natural starting ground because Klein had covered Chile so much and the shock doctrine itself. But, uh, you know, from there, kind of got into the Mellon family, got into private military companies and all kinds of other crazy avenues of research. Sorry about that. I, I was muted up and I tried to to bust out of it and uh, I wasn't able to. My apologies. Also, I, I want to warn people and let them know that I am having Internet issues. So if you hear a lag, it's probably it. I'm sorry. I can't do much about that. Um, well, I'm happy that that you went ahead and, and wrote this thing. And I'm, I'm happy that you're doing the work that you're doing. You're exposing a lot of things that most people aren't familiar with. I think it's it's uh, cropping up to the surface now. You see bubbles of it. You see more people talking about things like this, uh, but you, you do some deep dives on some of this stuff, and we're going to get into uh, the right and, and what, uh, what's uh, pushing the right in the direction that they're in. We can talk about the left all day, and uh, the alternative media does a whole bunch on that, you know, and, uh, and destroying the left, but they don't really get into the right and all these other, th other things that you've exposed uh, in your book and in your work, so I, I want to do a little bit of that. Let me get Brissom in here real quick. Brissom, what do you got to say? Uh, I mean, yeah, it's, it's someone, me and Recluse, you know, working together to expose what is the secret, what Josh termed was the secret right, the hidden right, you know, whether it's the American Security Council, which Recluse has done a lot of research on, many wrote many blogs about the ASC on Vice of View or 
or my modern research at the Council for National Policy or Josh doing a lot of the, the legwork back in uh, the late 2000s or even uh, the more mysterious Law Sirkel, the Bilderberg of the secret right. You know, Recluse has been writing blog after blog after blog exposing this. For how long this has this been? Almost a decade, Recluse, at this point? Yeah, I've been blogging for about a decade. I think I got into Le Cirque uh, around like 2013, 2014 or something thereabouts. But um, yeah, I mean, just nobody was really covering those kind of topics back then, except for um, the Institute for the Study of Cover uh, Politics and Globalization. And uh, I guess David Teacher, though, the book that he wrote on Le Cirque back in the early 90s, is it's pretty much still banned. I guess he finally had to publish it for free on the Internet. Ro- rogue after. Agents, right? Is the name yeah, of Rogue it? Agents, the great Rogue Agents. That's a highly recommended text. Uh, if you're looking for a good read uh, during this pandemic. So question number one, right, which is the most obvious one. Why do you think this is so suppressed, right? I mean, in in the the era of conspiracy and the Internet, everything's come out, at least we would think, right? You, you, you log on and to the Internet, you could, you could find just about any video on YouTube back in the day, on, uh, on Google videos, everything, and the... the Council on Foreign Relations and the Bilderberg Group and uh, the Bohemian Grove were covered heavily uh, due to Alex Jones, you know, and uh, and a few others that pushed it. And uh, and we are all very well versed on 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 that, uh, at least the one on one, you know, m- most of the alternative community, but not this stuff. And, and you, you know, you talked about that book. I'm not familiar with it, but uh it's it's it was banned and it's still banned. Like I mean, why isn't this stuff covered as heavily as the other stuff? Well, I mean, if you really want to get down to it, essentially because modern conspiracy culture is largely itself a creation of the U.S. intelligence community, and that really goes back to the organization that Brissom just mentioned, uh, the American Security Council. Um, Talk you know, to us a little about that. Well, I mean, it was formed in the mid-1950s. Originally, it was kind of an alliance between uh, the FBI and a lot of uh, uh, military intelligence types and what have you. And it essentially was started to kind of carry on the process of blacklisting. Of course, you know, you'd had the McCarthy witch hunts a little earlier. McCarthy had uh, crashed and burned, essentially, for a variety of reasons. So this stuff had to go underground, and the ASC was one of the groups that took up this practice. Uh, Most of its corporate sponsors were almost entirely defense contractors and that type of thing. And, you know, they just compiled massive, massive amounts of dossiers on American citizens uh, at their peak, probably in the early 70s. I mean, they reputedly had close to four million dossiers on individual Americans. So effectively, if you were going to work for any kind of a defense contractor during much of the Cold War, you would have had to be vetted by the ASC. They probably would have had files on you that the company in question trying to hire you would have requested. Uh, you know, even to get through the early stages of the process. So just, you know, that alone gave them a tremendous amount of power. But uh, on top of that, you know, they had clear ties to a lot of people that were involved on uh, Project Artichoke on the one hand, and then later uh, MKUltra. And then later you see, you know, Psy War officers like Colonel Michael Aquino cropping up in this organization by the 1980s. So you had that kind of agenda going in. And then as I was alluding to earlier, you had this alliance, I mean, with groups like the John Burke. Society, the Liberty Lobby, where there was a lot of overlap in the membership with, 
And this is where, you know, pretty much all of your your modern conspiracy culture comes from. I mean, all of the anti-UN, uh, anti, you know, IRS, Federal Reserve, anti-Rockefeller tropes that we're all so familiar with, the anti-CFR ones. I mean, they almost all originate with the Birchers. Uh, a lot of the anti-Semitic, you know, anti-Israeli stuff goes back to the Liberty Lobby. And then you have the kind of more militant Christian identity stuff with the Minutemen and these kind of early militia groups, which was also aligned with the American Security Council. And it wasn't even just that. I mean, on the flip side of the coin, they had a lot of ties to the early UFO field as well. I mean, there was a tremendous amount of overlap with NICAP, which was the first, you know, major civilian organization to investigate UFOs in the ASC. Uh, you had guys like General Curtis LeMay and Barry Goldwater, who really created the mythos behind, uh, you know, Hangar 18 and so on and so forth. You had guys like Bob Lazar that were connected to American Security Council luminaries like Edward Teller. So, you know, I I mean, really, when you look at a lot of these alternative communities, both the UFO and New Agey type stuff and a lot of the, you know, what I kind of think of as the conspiratorial right, all the stuff with Alex Jones and William Cooper, it almost all goes back to the ASC, uh, this shadowy, you know, network with its ties to the U.S. intelligence community and specifically, you know, uh, MK Ultra, Artichoke, that type of thing. It's all very uh, insidious, to put it mildly. Wow. Wow, that, that was a lot of info right there. But, but why do you think it was done? You know, why give rise to conspiracy culture in, in the way that we recognize it right now? And to just feed one particular, at least one side of the coin from what it looks like. I mean, and correct me if I'm wrong, Recluse. It just looks like one side of the coin was covered and there's a whole nother side that no one seems to know about. And this is by design. But why would they even go as far as to create this culture, what they gain from it. Well, there are a few reasons for that. I mean, on the one hand, you know, like I kind of alluded to earlier, the ASC, most of its financial support came from major defense contractors and not uh, the banking sector. And that kind of went into just the general change in the American overworld in, uh, you know, the post-World War II years. I mean, in a sense, the you know, the kind of traditional conspiracy theories are correct that the bankers had really dominated, though never controlled, but dominated the country from roughly the end of the Civil War up to the Second World War. Okay. But then essentially the national security state became enshrined and this it had a profound effect on the country. I mean, pretty much all of the financial centers in the country, you know, uh, by the end of the Second World War, they're centered in New York and Boston, Philadelphia, Chicago, Detroit. These are the great financial and industrial capitals of the country. Uh, in the post-war years, a lot of this wealth is transferred to the Southern Rim, to the West and so forth. So now you start seeing Houston, San Francisco, L.A., a lot of places like that emerging as major power centers. And with it came the military and the military-industrial conflict or complex rather probably can slip on my part but um you know so i mean anyway now you know these organizations have just tremendous amount of money more than enough to rival the bankers and they want to say in the direction that the country's going in you know with this wealth they want the power that comes with it so on the one hand you know you're trying to kind of out your rivals accuse them of you know many cases your own crimes and so on and so forth and then there's also i just think the issue of trying to do limited hangouts and so on and so forth i mean they had to have known that a lot of this stuff was going to come out eventually. So, you know, you try to control the narrative through the conspiracy culture. I mean, a good example of that would be JFK. Of course, we have what Peter Dale Scott referred to as the phase one story. Oswald is just a lone nut and there's nothing to see in it. 
And then you have the phase two story that the ASC was big in disseminating, which is that Oswald was actually a communist agent and it was the Soviets that was behind all of this and so on. So that kind of murkies and muddies the water and so forth, which further confuses legitimate researchers into the matter. And this just seems like it's been done over and over again. I mean, the MJ-12 documents, for instance, would be a good example of something that's just ravaged this kind of alternative research community for decades now. Uh, so, I mean, there's also that matter as well. You give people lots of red herrings and false leads and, you know, nothing really gets accomplished. That's Majestic 12 that you were referring to, right? Yes, sir. The MJ-12. Okay, listen, I, I got a couple more questions. There's a question in the chat that I want to get to. Um, I do want to ask you about Bill Cooper. You mentioned him as a part of this, and I, I would like to know uh, your thoughts on him and how he was connected besides uh, the John Birch Society, which is what I suspect uh, is going to come out of this. But anyway, uh, Brissom, jump in here, man. Yeah, I mean, Recluse is he's, he's spot on with, with everything that he'd mentioned from my own research. That the secret right wants to control the conspiracy culture to make it almost like a limited hangout. You know, when Alex Jones discusses um, uh, when he discusses a Ron, the Ron Contra affair, for example, uh, he, he talks about Colonel Oliver North, but only briefly. You know, he, he leaves out. Uh, a lot of the funding for the Iran Contra affair came out of the of, of the Council for National Policy meetings. Members of the CMP, um, you know, a lot of the funding for for it came from that. Uh, so he live, you know, they don't discuss the hidden history of Iran Contra affair outside of well, you know, and they even frame it now how how. Uh, um, it goes a step further that Alex Jones frames Rex eighty four now as as being a good thing. It was to. To, to, it wasn't for the the uh, protesters of a Latin American civil war. Uh, it was for um, the globalists were going to destabilize Latin America and was going to put the refugees in there to send them back. You know, he paints Oliver North as a good guy now. So there's le- there's limited hangout levels to all of this of how it progresses because you know eventually you know back in the day at least Alex Jones would say Oliver North was a crook, you know, and that and that Reagan was a crook and Bush was a crook. Uh, George H.W. Bush. Well, now it's none of them were. Or maybe George H.W. Bush, maybe he was the one and Reagan was actually a good guy. And George H.W. Bush was working with the CFR to, to to confuse all these people. I mean, that's what you end up having. You just have limited hangouts and no one discuss the, you know, or at least attempts to try to within the um, what I call the uh, uh, the uh, truth or industrial complex, which yeah. is run by the Council for National Policy and the John Birch Society in modern times, and Russia too as well, uh, they, they, they don't give you the, the full map or even try to come close to it. You know, it's the same with um, where Recluse was mentioning about the JFK assassination. Of course, you're never going to hear from the right-wing truth or industrial complex that the, the, the Nelson Bunker Hunt, the Hunt family, was very much involved in the John Birch Society, were very much involved in the assassination of JFK. The Hunt brothers may have helped fund it, as well as they were putting up the Wanted for Treason posters in Dallas uh, right before the assassination of JFK. Uh, and also Officer J.D. Tippett was the head of the John Birch Society in Dallas, Texas. Mm. So they, they don't tell you any of that stuff. They're going to leave all that stuff out. Why? Because they they, they don't want you... All the researchers in the into the... JFK assassination, majority of them, not all of them, they're going to leave that part out because it circles back to the John Birch Society, the secret right, being involved in the assassination of JFK. And wow. I want you to know about it. Wow. So. All right, Recluse. Um, piggyback on that, right? And then we have, I, I want to know about about Mr. Cooper, right? Uh, Behold a Pale Horse. Um, 
I want you to tell me about that. And also, somebody in the chat uh, wanted me to ask you about Project Montauk and uh, how that fits into this entire thing. So if you have any thoughts Project on that. Monarch. Right, right, Monarch. right, right. Sorry about that. Monarch or Montauk? Monarch. Two. Monarch, sorry. Monarch. My okay, fault. Okay. Yeah, I have very bad okay. eye vision. Um, but regardless of that, um, take them in parts and do what you will. Go ahead, sir. Well, um, yeah, you know, I mean, John, it can't be that the hunts were that bad. I mean, you know, William Cooper himself said in Behold a Pale Horse that they were, you know, patriotically trying to cover the uh, the world silver market so they could bring back legitimate currency for us. So, you well, know, that was, that was Alex Jones, too, as well. Alex Jones mimicked the same thing. Imagine that, huh? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not like Alex Jones stole his whole stick from, you know, William Cooper or anything like that. I mean, that would be preposterous. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh yeah. Um, okay. So, well, Mr. Cooper, his uh, connections to all this are really quite bizarre, which I suppose isn't that surprising. But um, it kind of runs through uh, a really strange organization known as the Sovereign Order of St. John. Uh, the SOSJ uh, claimed to be the legitimate Knights of Malta through the Russian line of succession. They had ended up uh, uh, under uh, Tsar Peter's protection at the end of the 18th century after they lost Malta. They'd gone underground in the 19th century and somehow had immigrated to the United States in the early 20th and started setting up their base of operations to come out in the open in the 1950s, which was utterly bogus. Uh, the actual longtime head was a guy called Charles Bichel, a Nazi collaborator during the Second World War, a guy implicated in drug trafficking and a host of other curious activities. Uh, anyway, he sets up this mysterious group in the mid-1950s. He gets an enormous amount of former military men and very senior ones. I think there were over half a dozen former admirals, over half a dozen generals from the U.S. Army and the Marine Corps really major guys. There was MacArthur's former head of intelligence, General Charles Willoughby. There was General Bonner Fellers, who had been a Psy War officer for MacArthur in the entire Pacific Theater of the Second World War. Uh, there was Colonel Philip J. Corzo, who would go on to write The Day After Roswell. Uh, another really weird guy was Cleve Baxter, a former Army interrogation and CIA interrogation specialist. I'm in possession of Mr. Baxter's personal papers, and I can tell you from them that he was almost surely an OG bluebird guy uh that was the predecessor organization operation artichoke uh and that he had gone into some really strange recruiting for the sosj he tried to get uh members of the scientologists involved i mean he was nosing around the institute of nodic sciences and all kinds of other crazy stuff and this is just bizarre because the order of saint john had close ties to Christian identity sects, Christian dominionists, and really militant types. Um, effectively, in my research, as far as I can tell, the SOSJ was in a lot of ways kind of the American version of propaganda do, uh, the you know Italian Masonic Lodge that effectively seems to have been running the Gladio stuff there. Uh, the SOSJ did something similar in the United States with these, you know, Christian identity zealots, which were very much the uh, American wing of Gladio, if you will. But I mean, they also had all these weird ties to the UFO community and Scientology and just this other crazy stuff. Um, anyway, one of the really, really bizarre people involved with them was a guy called Delmar Deveris. He was a 
Chandler uh, believed he was in contact with extraterrestrial intelligences who had apparently crossed the galaxy uh, to tell him psychically that Jews were in fact the most heinous personification of, of evil in the known universe or something to that effect. Anyway, he had kind of this quasi-cult operation. And, uh, hey, Recluse, let me stop you right there. We'll pick this up on the other side. We only have two minutes left on this side. Uh, before we go to commercial break, I want you to tell everybody about your book, where they can buy it, and tell everybody about your podcast, where they can find it, and everything else you got going on. Okay, man. Do that now. All right. <laughs> uh, you can find my website at uh, VisaView. That's V-I-S-U-V. View V I E W. It's all one word. Dot blogspot. Dot com. Uh, the book is Strange Tales of the Parapolitical Postwar Nazis, Mercenaries, and Other Secret History. It's available at Amazon, and PDF versions can be found at the Farm Podcast. Dot store backslash. That's the Farm Podcast. It's all one word. Dot store backslash. And you can also check us out at the podcast, which is the Farm Podcast. Dot com. Pretty simple on that one, at least. <laughs> Fantastic, man, John Brissom. Tell them something about you. Go ahead. Yeah, you guys can find me. We've read the documents on YouTube. We've read on Twitter. And uh, sometimes on the Infinite Fringe with your excellent host, Billy Ray Valentine. You you are much too kind, sir. You, you still haven't made up for uh, snatching my intro there. But uh, we'll deal with that later, you and I. Okay, May 3rd. For those of you that want to hear the date, my name is Billy Ray Valentine. This is the Infinite Fringe. we got Recluse hanging and the fabulous John Brissom with us today. Going to get into some stuff most of you have probably not heard of. Uh, and that's, you know, that's, that's really saying something because I know all of you people you get into stuff hard, especially if you're here at TFR with me right now. Um, but I really want to uh, dive into La Cal a little bit in the second half of the show. Everybody, follow me on Twitter at Obi-Wan-You-Know-Me or send me an email at theinfinitefringe at gmail.com. All right, you guys, take it easy. I'll see you guys on the other side. My music should be coming on any minute now, and I'm waiting for it. Where is it? Here it comes. Mad Martigan, 
with no candles. R&B stanzas are glamorous clothes. I rock no brand sandals. I'm dealing with fans, you're dealing with manholes. It's romance and more important than Sancho. I never snuff lights and having rough nights, but I must live up to my rep. Right touch ice, but my blood warm. Snuff any nickname when he gets semi drunk. It's a fuck storm and some more couldn't hurt. Mix up love and war like porn. Rum in Pepsi, one for a skirt. Yikes, but I just wanna get done nicely. And yo, girl, your shirt's what enticed me. Yo, I'ma do it like this. Ask you if you love it, so if so, it's on. And boo, if you love his flow, it's golden. Yo, it's all good. What you running under the hood? What is going on? How's everybody doing? It's Billy Ray Valentine. This is The Infinite Fringe coming to you live from lockdown New York City in the Bronx. I hope everybody is doing well. Thank you for joining me here on the second half of the broadcast. John Brissom is here with me. Say what's up, John. Hope everybody's doing well out there. True right, Frequency right. Radio audience, how you doing? And we also have Recluse here. I'm going to let him get in and uh, answer questions. And uh, he had something he wanted to get off his chest on the top. And so we're going to do all of that. Let me get to the chat real quick before we do. Uh, Sophia the Bot, what is going on? We got Bammy in there. What's up, Bammy? How you doing? Uh, Spread Love, 911, what is going on? Melissa Taylor, how are you? Blessings. Cold Brews, oh, uh, hell yeah. What is going on? Liz, the Iron Maiden. Greetings and blessings to you. It's always a privilege to have you in my chat. Wallengong, what is going on? John Brissom is in the chat. He is also on the show. Can you believe it? Wolfie's here. What's up, Wolfie? How you doing, man? Gemini, what is going on, Gemini? How's it going? Mark 13, what is up? Spoonman88 is here. Lawrence is here. Kind Mind is here. Greetings and blessings to all of you. Quentin is here. I hope all of you guys are doing well. Thank you for hanging out with us. Um, on this a Sunday evening. Recluse, how are you? Thank you for joining us. Say what's up. What's up, guys? And I'm doing very well, man. Thank you very much for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure, man. Thank you for coming on and dropping all this knowledge. Most things, I'm just sitting there and like, wow, I, I did not know that. And why haven't I? Why, why, why am I not aware of this? Um, but you wanted to lead off with something off top. We were having a conversation during the commercial break and, uh, and you wanted to address it or John wanted you to address it. So just go ahead and do yeah. that, and then we'll get into the question. Go ahead, bro. Okay, well, so getting to, you know, Bill Cooper's ties to this bizarre Sovereign Order of St. John, this Fuego Knights of Malta outfit. Okay, so it was through this guy called Delmar Deveris. I was just getting into how basically he ran this UFO contactee cult thing, but one that was laced with Christian identity theology. Like I said, it was fanatically anti-Semitic and so on and so forth. Um, so anyway, Deveris, he was one of the early guys to turn up silent weapons for quiet, uh, quiet wars, one of the big tropes that Cooper later popularized they had some kind of association um i'm not sure where exactly it began but probably in the early 80s and cooper was impressed to the point that he actually published one of deveris's uh poems in behold a pale horse uh certainly though they had had contact for several years deveris of course was dead by the time behold a pale horse came out but deveris i mean you know he was tied into um Alexei Romanov, which is the nom de plume of uh, oh, Paul Gawansky or something, a defector from Polish intelligence who believed that he was uh, the youngest son of the slain czar and just this other 
insane stuff. So Cooper was kind of tied in with all of this insanity. And I mean, successor organizations to this group continue to this day. Um, Council of National Policy member and uh, former head of the Special Operations, Joint Special Operations Command and what have you. General William J. Boykin is also a member of this, you know, one of the successor groups of this Knights group. Uh, a lot of Christian Dominionists are in it now. So, I mean, this was the kind of underworld that Cooper was kind of tracking around in, really the most militant and weirdest, you know, kind of subsection of the hidden right, in my opinion. Um, so anyway, getting into Project Monarch, okay, so uh, uh, I should probably start out by saying uh, it has a basis in reality. It has a basis in reality. So that being said, uh, based on what I can tell, it was definitely a bit of disinformation. But it has a basis in reality. I feel the need to emphasize that because I know when I start talking about how Monarch was a kind of hoax, people get really upset about that. But that is the best I have been able to uncover in my research. Um, actually, I was contacted a number of years ago. Uh, I've never actually told this story to anybody, but uh, I feel I can do it now that the individual is dead. But well, I was contacted. I was contacted a number of years ago by Hank Albarella, the great author of A Terrible Mistake, which in my opinion is the definitive account of Artichoke and MKUltra, uh, the author of A Secret Order. He did a phenomenal amount of research on this stuff. He did volumes and volumes of Freedom of Information Act requests. He interviewed Sidney Gottlieb and pretty much all of the other major guys. I don't think that there was a single person alive who knew this material better than Hank Albarella. He was also a wonderful person. Um, he always took a tremendous amount of time to respond to my requests. Just a great all-around guy. Uh, when he contacted me, this was around 2013, I was pretty much nobody then. Um, I get this email in my inbox. I had actually just written a little bit about Monarch, and I think you've been trying to try to legitimize it. And the email from Hank says, uh, you're going to piss away all of your credibility effectively if you keep going down this trail. And I was like, oh, my God, Hank Elberelia told me that I had credibility, essentially. But um, anyway, you know, I started pressing him on this a little bit, and he revealed to me that he had tracked down the guy who had started um, the Monarch, you know, tropes, the first one to report upon it and what have you. And uh, he had gotten this guy to admit that he had fabricated it. Um, you know, I had looked into this, I had started, I think I had identified the individual, but Hank was pretty coy with some of this stuff, I think, to protect his own, you know, disclosure agreements, never really confirmed or denied my suspicion of the guy, so I'm not going to say his name, but I feel pretty confident that what Hank told me was true in this case, and I've always, you know, like I said before, I always found him to be a credibly stand-up guy, very forthright, uh, the other things that he has told me, I've been able to confirm, you know, to my satisf uh, satisfaction. So I think that he was definitely being truthful with me in this case as well. And, you know, just in the context of what we've been talking about, conspiracy theories as a weaponization of, you know, a kind of psychological warfare tool, uh, it really fits, you know, much the same way with the Majestic 12 documents. Monarch is another thing that has just absolutely ravaged conspiracy circles. For years now, and again, you know, I want to emphasize, I'm not trying to say that that doesn't have a basis in reality, that there's not legitimacy to these 
you know, elite pedophile networks and things like that. I mean, that's something that, you know, LeCercal certainly proves beyond a doubt. But, uh, you know, Monarch was another thing, I think, that was a red herring to point you in, you know, a lot of different and, you know, frankly, misleading directions, ultimately. Uh, you know, that's how a lot of this really sophisticated disinformation works. I mean, it, you know, it has a basis in reality. It tells you factual stuff. But it puts a certain spin on it that is going to totally send you off base and, you know, I mean, into a direction that will not challenge any real or will not threaten any really major revelations. Wow, man. Um, uh, thanks for, for telling the story here, for one. Uh, Bammy, I hope uh, you're satisfied with that answer. If you, have a, if you have anything else, make sure you let me know. Brissom, let me let you get in here before we get into La Cercale. No, I mean, I got nothing else to add to that. That, that. I'm glad you told that story, Recluse. Very interesting. Very interesting. Right, right. Agreed. 100. Let's talk about um, La Cercale, the most secret, secret society there is on the world, <laughs> unless there's something else we, that's more secret than that and none of us know. Listen, I, I had no idea what this was until Brissom told me. Zero. Like, not even an inkling that this existed. And I've been, uh, uh, you know marching around in these muddy waters that we called that we call a conspiracy theory for quite some time now right and uh, and uh, i've never even heard of it up until brisson put me on and then i started hearing it and i hear a couple of other people talk about it but you get into it heavy you know um give us a slight overview of what this is you know like i mean no one really knows so i i want you to give us the the 101 for dummies on this you know and and then okay. we'll get in just a little bit deeper i want to i want to dip my toe into the into the pond just a little bit. Go ahead. Well, it had its origins in the mid-1950s, and it actually kind of began as an offshoot of the Bilderberg uh, group, specifically between some of the French and German partners. And it was essentially trying to get, you know, reproachment between France and Germany after the whole, you know, Nazi invasion occupation thing, which, you know, it kind of left a bad taste in the French mouth, so to speak. Uh, but anyway, you know, they were able to manage that. And, um, you know, it seems like that it essentially transformed into kind of a, a counterbalance to the Protestant, you know, Anglo-American uh you know, UK American access, essentially. Uh, you know, that's one of the big things that defines Le Cercale and differentiates it between the Bilderberg group. The founding people in it were, you know, all from mainland Europe, uh, in many cases, heavily Catholic countries. And they were almost all members of either Opus Dei and or the Sovereign Military Order of Malta. And this is the official Knights of Malta that I'm talking about in this case, not the Sovereign Order of St. John, which is one of the Suedo Knights of Malta. There's quite a few of them out there, and they're all really plugged into this stuff. But whatever. Okay, so this group was very, very Catholic, reactionarily so. Uh, it initially had really shunned any kind of involvement with the Anglo-American establishment. It wasn't really until 1968 that they started to admit Americans and then later the British. Um, but really, from the 70s onward, it was dominated by uh, the British Tories and the most militantly imperialistic ones at that, uh, to the point that it's pretty much been totally controlled by the British since at least the 1980s. I think every chairman since like 85 or so has been British. Um, and certainly there's been some pretty heavyweights, most notably Lord Julian Amory, who was really the guy who created the modern private military industry and just the whole, uh, you know, kind of off the books, 
convert operations, assets, and what have you, just a pivotal figure in this kind of, you know, stuff to the extent that the, uh, what was it, the Bank of International Commerce, uh, when they were, you know, essentially kind of set up to fill the gap after the CIA was cracked down in the 1970s, they were looking for a guy who could help them run, you know, all these vast off-the-book assets, and uh, they wanted Mr. Amri to be their uh, their CEO. Um, Julian turned them down because he was uh, trying to bring about a government with um, with more resolve in the UK at the time. But, uh, you know, he did stay on as an advisor to, I guess, pass on some of his mojo to them. Prism, if you got anything, go ahead, man. I mean, there's not much that we really know about Lost or Kel uh, outside of um, Rogue Agents and a few uh, membership lists being uh, leaked out and itineraries being leaked out in the early to mid-1980s. So we really don't know um, really much about them. I mean, you know, they have connections to to what Recluse had said, like the original Knights of Malta and also to Opus Dei, uh, too, as well. Um, They seem to be very big in current times uh, with uh, uh, dealing with UKIP, uh, and as well as um, um, Brexit uh, over there in the United Kingdom. Uh, so they seem to have the a, a vested interest uh, in that uh, currently that we've been able to. There's only a handful of news stories about Lost Kell in the modern times in the past decade. I've only been able to find about six. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's a lot less that we know about Lost Kell. Uh, than we know about the Bilderberg group. Right. Um, and also, Recluse, wasn't Luster Kell had had ties in too as well with um, the Habsburgs and the Turntaxis families too? Uh, definitely. Yes, yes, absolutely with the Habsburg. Because um, there have been a couple of organizations. See, it's kind of a bit of ironic. Originally, Le Cercal was really very pro-EU, and it had also sort of partly grown out of some of the groups affiliated with that, as did the Bilderberg group. And um, one of them, I cannot remember the name of it off the top of my hand, uh, but it was you know really dominated by the Habsburg interests. And then there was also the Pan-European uh, Union or something like that. It also had a strong Habsburg influence. And I believe the other family you mentioned had also had some degree of involvement as well, but not quite to the extent of the Habsburgs. Yeah, I don't think the Thurn and Taxis family did, but they were a German nobility. And I read old magazines has discussed them being around this kind of nexus of uh, of Opus Dei and, you know, Lasser Kell and Knights of Malta. Yeah, absolutely. And just in general, you know, Lisser Cow has always been very uh, aristocratic. You know, there's a lot of sir this and lord that and the right honorable so-and-so when you look at their ranks and roles and so forth. So, yeah, I mean, that would hardly be surprising in that context. So in regards to their influence, right? So the Bilderberg group, you, you, we've their influence has been uh, very well documented to the point that uh, for a long time we thought the president was chosen there. Right. Uh, of the United States. Like uh, it was just a thing going around in conspiracy circles. What kind of influence does Lasser Kell have in modern day times? And uh, I also want to get into a little bit of the CNP um, before we uh, get up out of here. But let's talk about uh, Lasser Kell's influence right now. Well, I mean, I think it's uh, its influence, especially in the United States, really, uh, you know, began to expand massively in the 1980s. Uh, same thing in the UK with the rise of Thatcher and so on. And the rise uh, of Reagan. 
Yeah, and obviously the rise of Reagan as well going into the 1980s. Of course, Bill Casey was also very close to Lesser Cal. Several, you know, were other major figures in Reagan's administration. So, you know, it definitely... World think, anti, the World Anti-Communist League. Yes, yes. I mean, there was a lot of overlap with that, with the American Security Council and a lot of the other, you know, kind of hidden right groups that were big in the Reagan Revolution. So you had all of that. I mean, of course, Lesser Cal, it's been you know, just pivotal in the international arms trafficking front. Uh, I mean, a lot, of course, with acts of terrorism. I mean, it really seems like it was a major... I mean, one of my kind of pet theories is effectively it was the kind of shadow body initially set up to run the, you know, the stay-behind uh, networks in the various countries, of course. Uh, one of the founders in Italy was Giulio uh, was it Andradia or something like that, the longtime prime minister. I mean, he really seems to have been the major guy behind the Gladio networks for a lot of years there. The same is true of Conrad Adenauer, who was a German founder, another guy who had a lot of influence, as did another German founder, Franz Joseph Strauss. Uh, certainly the Belgian partners that came in in the late 60s, you know, these guys were very heavily implicated in the stay behind networks there that kind of climaxed in the terror incidents of the bloody 80s and so forth. But I mean, I think for Le Cirque Cal, the big thing was its ties to these elite pedophile networks. I really think that was where its influence just, you know, really expanded massively after the late 60s, the early 1970s. Of course, there's a lot of evidence uh, that they were deeply involved with the pedophile networks that were exposed by the Detroit affair in Belgium uh, in the 90s. Franklin of course. scandal. Yes, the, the through Casey. Yes, the Franklin scandal in the United States. And then through a lot of the British partners, the you know pedophile rings that were exposed there in the UK, um, you know, in the recent years with the Jimmy Savile revelations. Of course, there have been rumblings of this going back to the Westminster pedophile dossier in the 80s and so forth. And I mean, these rings, you know, certainly existed prior to Le Cercal, but I think a lot of these reactionary forces were able to penetrate them and start compiling just damning information on this stuff that was used to blackmail various governments that they were part or you know, that the members uh, existed in their host countries. Uh, I mean, a big guy, I think, in that regard would have been Brian Crozer, who eventually became a chairman of Le Cercal. Uh, you know, I've recently uncovered evidence that he was plugged into all of the stuff that was going on with the Concora Boys Home scandal. And I mean, you know, you're talking about a guy like Lord Montbatten, uh, Prince Philip's uncle, you know, a member of the royal family who was implicated in that. So, you know, if these guys start getting this kind of information, you can only imagine how they could blackmail these governments. And I think that was probably an underlining factor that led to the rise of Thatcher in the UK and Reagan in the United States. And, you know, certainly this is something that my follow up book, A Special Relationship, is really going to go into heavily, kind of exploring the history of these uh, these sex rings and how it eventually kind of climaxed with Trump and Epstein and Brexit. Wow. Get into a little bit of Trump and Epstein. I mean, that's the obvious question coming out of this, right, because Epstein you know, is is the thing. Everybody uh, uh, gravitated towards that and started looking into that. And, uh, you know, he's, uh, what is it, the Trilateral Commission, I think, Council on Foreign Relations, also very heavily tied with Harvard. You know, and uh, those are, you know, Council on Foreign Relations and, uh, and, uh, and the Trilaterals are, in a way, I mean, like, it's two sides of the coin, right? We know all of these, right? But there is some bleed over to the CMP there, from what I understand. So what, 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 is, what is the overall behind a Donald Trump and, and these, uh, and these uh, secret societies like Lasser Keller or the CMP? Not that it's a secret society, but it's a, a think tank, a very, very exclusive, very, very elite think tank, very secretive. 
Um, what, what's the tie there and, and all these pedophile rings, if there is any? Go ahead. Um, well, I mean, in the case of Epstein, you know, I mean, he kind of came out of this kind of nexus in the 1980s that brought together, you know, individuals like Roy Cohn, uh, Donald Trump's infamous, you know, political mentor slash attorney. Cohn was very much plugged into this, you know, kind of hidden right network. Of course, he was essentially a creature of J. Edgar Hoover, who was really, you know, in the States, the master of sexual blackmail for decades and decades. Of course, there was his uh, famous uh, official and confidential and official and personal files that just, you know, I think the official and personal files were so damning that they were destroyed, at least allegedly, almost immediately after he died in 72. Uh, but, you know, this was the guy who had really groomed Roy Cohn um, going back to the 50s. You know, there are reports of Cohn doing these kind of entrapment rings at the Plaza Hotel in New York involving, you know, boys and that type of stuff. Um, Cohn, of course, you know, in addition to Hoover, he would later become involved with the Western Goals Foundation, which was a private uh, intelligence network that was very closely aligned with the World Anti-Communist League, with the American Security Council. There was a lot of overlap in membership. And it was also tied into, uh, I think it was the Western, I can't remember what exactly it was, but there was a sister organization in the UK that Crozer and some of his associates had set up as well. Um, you know, this nexus also included guys like Sir James Goldsmith, who would later become a major financial patron of Crozer. And Sir Jimmy was also really the guy who put Brexit in motion. I mean, he was the guy who had set up the UK Independent Party in the 90s. And to this day, a lot of people connected to him, like Robin Burley, his former um, son-in-law, are major backers of Brexit. Uh, and then, of course, Epstein, there was all the connections to the Maxwell family. Robert Maxwell was really set up by uh, Sir Charles Hambro. The, he was an incredibly powerful banker and the head of the special operations executive during the Second World War. Hambro essentially was the guy that gave Maxwell the money to set up Pergamon Press which is what really put him on the map. And it also seems like this, you know, publishing house was used for scientific espionage. Maxwell had impeccable contacts with the Soviets. All of his British backers had been tied to the special operations executive to the point that um, when he tried to join labor in the 1960s, they thought that he was a plant from the Tory party because he was, like I said, essentially a creation of Hambro. So, you know, you kind of have this nexus of guys, Hambro, some of his associates, especially Harry Sporborg, would later become big figures in Le Cercal in the 70s with Julian Amory. Amory himself seems to have been involved with activities that Hambro was sponsoring on the slide during the, you know, the Suez crisis. That's another thing I'm going to get into my book. So, I mean, you have this kind of long nexus of guys uh, on the one hand with Maxwell in the UK and then Cohn in the US who had this legacy in sexual blackmail operations for in the US, you know, this kind of far right establishment that, um, you know, I really think it forged an alliance with rather, you know, radical members of the British Tories, those associated with the Monday Club uh, during the time of Perfumo in the early 60s. And then going into the 70s, it really crystallized with the Sir Cal. Um, and then also, too, you've got the whole specter of William Casey. I mean, Casey was a fan, uh, was a good friend of Roy Cohn's, um, had a birthday bash for Cohn that Craig J. Spence had thrown that I believe Casey was the guest of honor at. So that kind of dies into all the stuff with the Franklin scandal and what have you. So, you know, it is really interesting in the fact that um, at the time, I mean, Epstein, you know, is kind of exposed 
shows this is a guy who clearly just, you know, has countless amount of blackmail material on the Democratic establishment, on the closely aligned scientific community and so forth. So, you know, if people if Epstein is a continuation of what Cohn is doing, uh, what potentially guys like Robert Maxwell and Brian Crozer were doing in the UK, you know, this means that, I mean, a lot of the potential opposition to Trump is compromised. Uh, Trump himself is, of course, aligned with that as well. But I mean, whether or not, you know, he was just another part of the ring or whether or not he was in upper management is certainly debatable. But, um, you know, I mean, almost anybody, though, at this point that the Democrats could put forward to challenge Trump, either politically or in the case of Bill Gates, uh, you know, publicly is somehow tied into the stuff with Epstein. So, I mean, it's just uh, sort of Democles really hanging over the whole, you know, quote unquote, liberal establishment. All right, Recluse, let me get in here, man. A lot of great information. Thank you for coming on and uh, giving us that. We're going to have to have you back so we can flesh this out a little more. Uh, Profumo Absolutely. is something we can do an entire episode on. We didn't get to Gladio. I want to hit all of that stuff up at some point. It was certainly a pleasure. Tell everybody where they can find you. We, only, we don't have too much time left. Go ahead, man. Thank you very much for having me on. You can find me at uh, my blog, which is Visup View. That's V-I-S-U-P-V-I-E-W. It's all one word, dot blogspot, dot com. The book is Strange Pe- Tales of the Parapolitical, Post-War Nazis, Mercenaries, and Other Secret History. It is available at Amazon and also at our official store. That is the farmpodcast.store, backslash, and I'm at the farm podcast. That's the farmpodcast.com. Beautiful. It's Billy Ray Valentine, The Infinite Fringe. See you guys next week. In the packages, the war order coming disastrous. I'm getting bottles of water and matches because it's hazardous, immaculate hate. And Montague's versus the capitalist, ruining the generations. The nations are going at it. I'm on the front lines of these perilous times, confusing bonds of minds of world leaders. We need a sign, a ray of hope through this dark cloud of injustice. Motherfuck, this city of gold after forming is lusted. Jewel encrusted green beans, apocalypse. Can't you see the blitz on the radar? Missile hits, overconfident. War strategists became the catalyst. Angry capitalists, the star. Market's fast. Gotta get it ready. My body is so steady, heart heavy from living so long in these last days. Crusades of self, gotta sell ourselves short. Gotta abort lifestyles that end this up. We let the mic breathe like the dying breeze. In need, we feed words that breed hope, maneuver past the greed. Indeed, we made the eagle fly. We made freedom cry by watching Jim try to see in the eye. Fucking alibi, we was there on the balcony. A shot's blare. My vision was scarred, but we still had something for the people, y'all. Do you remember when Martin had a dream and Bobby had a regiment? It's evident the struggle's all. My thoughts are settling. I gotta play the part. Ain't no other role. I'm better at words and better than revolutionary medicine. I took one pill and the shit was on ever since. I'm trying to keep an open mind. In the wilderness, I hold a sign. Wisdom is war and it's open mind. Older minds put me on to wisdom priceless. The fight opposite the whirlwind to your lifeless. Look, the game plans to defeat the man. Fuck trying to beat the man. I navigate seas into freedom land. Get at me, people, if you're trying to soothe the pain. But if not, move over because I'm trying to see change. For it's the real. raven that never came back to the ark. Hanging out with the viper at the garden and eating that anger the guard. So who you really are? Moon eclipsing the star. Precise one reborn scorned by human flaws. So who is this? Saying that money is bliss. Your logical miss. You and the devil about to kiss. I dismiss. Motherfuckers leading our brothers through streets and gutters overflowing from tears for my mothers that fall. As they witness the death of their children. Why they alive and realize they fell victim to American nightmare. Daring to dream things ain't never what they seem can we ever redeem hold on to old principles and still remain sensible analog art became digital